John chapter 1. You know, I was a kid. I, I, Christmas was about, uh, you know, lights and toys and all the greatest things. I couldn't wait to get the latest Transformer or Star Wars figure. I remember my sister was born. I told my mom I wanted to name her Yoda. That didn't work out too well. <clears throat> and, you know, so there's, there's just these different perspectives on Christmas that we all have, you know, we all think about. When you get a little bit older, it turns into, uh, you know, hanging out with friends and, and going to uh, parties and, you know, the office parties are happening and white elephant gifts and it's just this kind of, you know, it's, it's a fun time. And there's, of course, you know, a time for the uh, companies in America to get in the, in the black and for us to get in the red you know, <laughs> you know, and, and so there's just this, uh, there's this commercialism that's wrapped around it as well, and so there's these, uh, you know, there's just this different cultural influences on Christmas, and of course we can go through all the history of it, and I really don't want to, but from, uh, from the, even from the Bible, there's different perspectives on the birth of Christ, and I, I love how the Word of God talks about Jesus from different angles, and, and really what we're celebrating at Christmas is Jesus came, God came and became a person. And I think one of the most interesting perspectives is the heavenly perspective, which I believe is found in John chapter 1. And I think I might preach on this every single Christmas. You know, I just, I love this chapter. And so as we're kind of going through John chapter 1, ver uh, verses 1 through 18 or 17, uh, just uh, I want you to gather God's perspective on this child that we're celebrating, the child, the, the, the advent, the, the, the uh, Jesus coming and becoming flesh, becoming one of us. What in the world does that mean? What is, what is the perspective we need to have? And, and kind of remember that, make it our focus over the next few days as we uh, remember and as we celebrate and all these different cultural influences are coming upon us. Could we uh, remember the true meaning, the true focus of why Jesus came? of why Jesus came. And so, what does God want us to know about this child who was born on Christmas 2,000 years ago? There's six things I want to point out. If you're taking notes, it's great. I'm leaning heavily from John MacArthur on this, so I am plagiarizing like crazy, but I love it. You know? Uh, the first, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, in, he was uh, with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. The very first thing that John wants us to know about this child is born in Bethlehem is that he is eternal. He's the eternal one. I'm going to give you six ones. He's the blank one. You know, he's the eternal one is the first one. He's the eternal one. Jesus is the Word, and the Word is eternal. When our beginning began, whenever that beginning was, it just says in the beginning, guess who was there? The Word was already there. The Word was there. Proverbs 8.27, speaking of wisdom, uh, in verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 27 through 31, it says, I was there when he sent, set the heavens in the place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep. When he gave the sea its boundaries, and so the waters would not overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, and then I was constantly at his side, I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing 
in his whole world and delighting in mankind. And you can just see this is wisdom. Wisdom was with him. And how better personified is wisdom than in Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ was with God in the beginning, and we find out that he actually was God. The Word was in the beginning, but it says the Word was with God. What does that mean? It means that it doesn't mean like he was hanging out with them. It means he was face to face with them. That's what that word means in the Greek. Para something in the, in the Greek. Don't remember the rest of it. Face to face. Not subservient, not above, not below, but equal with, equal to, face to face. The word was with God, and it says, and the word actually was God, or if you actually make it literally from the Greek, it says God was the Word. God was the Word. The first thing John wants his readers to know is that the Word is God, the eternal God. And we're going to find out who the Word is, and I can, you, we can all guess who that is, right? But there's something that is unique to God. There's something that's unique to God that, that is not, that any of us, we, we cannot do this. God is, guess what? He, he's the Creator. God is the Creator. What does that mean? It means there is nothing and then he creates something out of nothing. We take things that exist already and put them together and go, look at my creation, correct? Because we are made in the image of God. We can't help but want to create, want to name, want to do all these things. But God is the creator. He, 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 and, and how does he create? Does anybody know? He speaks it into existence. What is that? That's the logos. That's the word. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. The Word, in the very beginning, Jesus was with God, and we find out, and the Word was God. God was the Word, and that's the first thing he wants us to know, is that the Word is God, and is eternal. And there's something that's unique to God, just that the ability to create. Colossians 1, uh, 16 says, the Son is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Man, that just blows my mind. Visible and invisible. I was just watching a thing, uh, you know, anybody had this discussion on string theory and dark matter? Yeah, nerd alert. <laughs> We're meeting afterwards. We'll also be talking about the next Star Wars film. No, I'm just kidding. <coughs> you know that, like, basically, the existing known matter that we have, they say, is only a certain percentage, only 30% of the known matter. So what in the world is the rest of it? How are things held together? They're trying to get it at such a small molecular level that they, that when you get down to that, that level, they're they're figuring out that, our, our time does not exist. The, the things that actually, what's keeping it all together? It's not anything that are, that are laws that we understand. Get into quantum physics. And it says here, it says, uh, he created all things, and all things have been created through him, by, by him, and for him, and he is before all things, and in him, in him all things hold together. Jesus, the word, holds all things together. The Word created everything. The child born on Christmas Day, the first thing John wants you to know is he is not from here. He is not from here. He's from outside our time-space continuum. He's not from the properties of this world. He's eternal. He comes from a different place altogether. 
the eternal one. The second thing uh, John wants us to notice is that the child is not only the eternal one, he's also the revealed one. Uh, what does that mean? What is he revealing? Verse 4 says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome, overcome it. Jesus reveals, he's, he's the revealing one, he reveals true life, true light. That is what he does. This eternal one who comes from outside has come in and he brings with him. In him is life. How many of you think you have life when you're born? Technically, your heart's beating, you're moving, all these types of things, but biblically, we're dead. We're all sons of Adam, sinned and fallen. And what he's talking about here is not a heart-beating life. We're talking about spiritual life. So what is life? That's the question. We think it is moving around and jumping and all these types of things. But that is not life. Jesus is life. And he has all graced us with the ability to move and express through spirits what our, our outward mechanics, it's like we're, we're the drivers in a car. Our spirit is within us. And this is the way we express ourselves. Yay! We have that grace. But what Jesus says here, or what John says here, is that in him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. And that implies that we're in darkness. That implies that we're in darkness. How many of you enjoy hearing that you're in darkness? I don't believe it. I'm not in darkness. No, I'm not. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so life is found, is it found within us? Is it found within man? If I just dig deep enough, if I contemplate enough, is, can I find life? Is life found within ourselves? No, life comes from outside. It comes from God. It comes from eternity, from the eternal one. And his life is the light of man. What does that mean? Verse 6, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, or it cannot put it out. The life of Jesus is light to the darkness, which is man. Mankind is in total darkness apart from Jesus Christ. We're blind, we're dead, we're in total darkness. We can deny it, but we cannot put out that light. Later on in John's Gospel, in John chapter 3, verse 19, speaking with Nicodemus, Jesus says this is the verdict, that light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Now, is he talking about liking shadows, just, just liking a dark room? No, he's talking about a moral darkness, a darkness from within. We love darkness rather than light. We love death rather than life. And we would say, no, we don't, but we don't have a under true understanding of what life is, and so therefore our false view of life is screwed up, just like our false view of love. And he says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Verse 20 says, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that whatever they have done has been done in the sight of God. Jesus was like no other man. Jesus was like no other man, no other woman. He was eternal, and he brought with him life, which John equates with light, and that light 
who he was by his very nature caused men to realize their darkness. Jesus walks in a room and all of a sudden I realize my worth. Do you understand that? His very presence. He walks in and all of a sudden I'm exposed. The inner workings of my heart are laid bare. I'm trying to protect. I'm trying to hide who I really am. The shields are up. It's really easy to do with you guys. Anyone? Family members, we can get away with it, right? Jesus sees right through. He's light to our spirits, our souls. He comes in and he exposes. Peter struggled this with this. Remember Peter? Luke 5, when Simon Peter in the very beginning, he saw this, this great catch of fish. Remember, hey, catch the nest on the other side and they, they carry in such an incredible catch. He was just blown away. And that act of mercy, that act of grace, that act of kindness, when they've been toiling all night and Jesus just spoke, cast on the other side, they threw on the other side, and all of a sudden there's all these fish. He just had realized, whatever that event was, he realized how sinful he was. And, and, and Peter fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Go away. Jesus, just in, in his presence, just exposed who he was, and Peter just knew at the core of his being, he was wretched. John 13, later on, Jesus is demonstrating servanthood and he's washing all his disciples' feet and he says to Peter, let me wash your feet and Peter says no, as Peter often says to Jesus. He says, you shall never wash my feet. You're not going to wash my feet. Feeling his own unworthiness, feeling his own worth, but Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then, Lord, Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well also. He felt his worth before Jesus. He was light. And that is what Jesus does. He, he shines light. And so John is saying that this child who was born in, is, is the eternal one and the revealed one in that he brought life or light into the darkness of man's sinfulness, not to condemn, but the truth that was within him magnified the fact that man was in darkness and already under condemnation. He showed just by his very presence, he brought out the guilt within us all, the shame. He is out of this world pure, holy, amazing. We're going to see he doesn't just leave us there, does he? But Jesus is the eternal one and the revealed one. The third thing that John points out about this child that was born is that he's the promised one. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And this John, is John the Apostle, is referring to John the Baptist. John the, there's a lot of Johns here, like there's a lot of Marys in the Bible. This is John writing about John the Baptist. It says, there's a man sent from God whose name was John. John the Baptist was the last of the prophets and the greatest of all men, Jesus would say. In Matthew 11, 11, one of the greatest prophets, he was sent for one reason, to declare the coming of Jesus Christ. That was his whole purpose in life. He had a purpose. It was to be the forerunner, the forebearer of the Messiah, to cry out, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. There's one coming right soon whose sandals I'm not even worthy to loose. Remember that? 
That's what he came to do, is to testify of that light that was coming. So that through him, well, verse 7 says, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light. Why? So that through him all might believe, and he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And I love this word, light, light, light. When you see things are re- repeated as a, as a pastor or as a Bible student, that means go look it up in the Greek. What are these lights? It says, he was not the flashlight, but he came to testify of a million blazing suns. Jesus was the million blazing suns, and John was simply a flashlight going, hey, Look at that. What happens? The prophets had promised his coming, and now the greatest of the prophets, they testify that he's here. He's the eternal one, the revealed one, the promised one, and John testifies so that people would believe. The word believe is used over a hundred times in the book of John. It's all about believing. What in the world is believing? It means to have faith, to trust in the promised one, to trust in the promise to put your faith in him, to say yes to the word of who he is and and what his light represents and what it says about me, what it says about you, our hearts, what it exposes. John was a witness to that light. He was not the light. He was a flashlight. Jesus was the million blazing suns, the light, the promise, the seed that we've been reading about in Galatians, the promised one, promised to Abraham to deliver people from our sins. That is through how the whole world is blessed, is through the deliverance of our sins. And as we've been talking about last week, he sent the law. God gave us the law. And what does the law do? It shows that we are sinful. Like that animal park thing I told you about, the tiger. Why is the tiger behind the cage? Because of its nature. Because the tiger will kill you if there is not law put in place, so to speak. It's a restrainer, but it's also reveal. It shows us it's a tiger. That's what the law does with me. The promised one. Sent to deliver us from our captivity. To give us a new nature. Take away the cage. Take away the law. Because we're no longer ruled by laws. We're under what? The grace of God. We're under a new law, the law of love, the law of Christ, the law of the Spirit, all talking about the same thing. When John saw, well, the promised one, promised to Abraham, delivered on Christmas morning 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, and when John saw Jesus coming to be baptized, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He was the promised one. The promise of the removal of the darkness within by filling us with his light, with himself. John speaks in these amazing kind of esoteric terms. I love how he he just paints artistically. But even as John told them, men would not see Jesus. They would not see the light as we're going to read. And so Jesus, this child, was the eternal one, the revealed one, the promised one, and now he's the rejected one. Verse 9 says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So Jesus came to bring light, true light, true life to mankind. Verse 10, he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. 
though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. You ever seen that, whatever that was, when they take a CEO of a, of a Fortune 500 company and they take him down, they put him working with everybody else? I don't even know what that was. I, haven't even, I saw like five minutes of it. What is it called? Yes, an undercover boss. Same thing, except for Jesus wasn't really undercover. Well, he was kind of in the cloak of us, which makes him common, but same type of deal. It says here, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the whole company was made, everything, their payroll, the, the grace that was given to them, and obviously God is, this is a lot bigger, right? They didn't recognize the CEO was walking right among them, was working with them. They didn't recognize who he was. This is, mankind did not recognize their creator, even though he was standing among them, they rejected him. And so how did God clothe Jesus Christ? Did he make him look like Hollywood? Did he have the perfect features? The chiseled jaw, the guns. You know, it's like, I'm going to heal you, you know, and all that stuff. No, it's not. It said he had no, no, there was no outer beauty. You look at the tabernacle, which is a picture of Jesus Christ. Outside it was goat skins and all this stuff. You'd look at it and go, okay, these people are kind of crazy. Nothing on the outside that would make you, draw you to it. But you walk in and it's gold everywhere. Everywhere. Man attracts from the outside in. Jesus works from the inside out. We're so concerned with our stupid super, superficial crud and the enemy has got us by a hook. Just look on the outside. Just be concerned about peripheral things of how you appear to others and all this type of stuff. And Jesus, when he comes and he meets you, guess what happens? He exposes who you truly are, who I truly am. Oh, I'm like goat skins on the outside. On the inside, my righteousness is as filthy rags. Mankind did not recognize their creator, even though he's standing right in front of them. They rejected him. Verse 11 says, He even came to that which, which is his own, but they did not receive him. He came to the people that were specifically given specific revelation, the Jews. He came to his own people, to Israel, who had the prophecies, who had the law, who had God intervening in miraculous ways in their history. Remember all that? Red Sea, walking through, right? the plagues the sun stands still I mean all these amazing things that are going on in the history and they did not recognize him they rejected him the festivals pointing to him every, they went to church every week it's as if Jesus came in here and he was hanging out and we totally ignored him and said gosh that guy kind of stinks get out of here let's worship Jesus that's why when he was there in, in Matthew 23, 27, he was standing over Jerusalem. He cried, I said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you would kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you. How often I have longed to gather you, your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. They rejected him. He tells a parable in Luke chapter 20, verse 9 through 19. It says, and when he began to tell the people this parable, a man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. And when the time came, 
He sent a servant to the tenants, and so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard, but the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. <coughs> Excuse me. And he sent another servant, but they also beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. And then the owner of the field said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And that's what happened. 70 AD, the Romans came in, decimated Jerusalem. The gospel obviously was now centered on the Gentiles, the others. And it says, when they heard this, the Pharisees, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is, is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and when the stone falls on anyone, it will crush him. And the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. He had rejected those, they had rejected Jesus Christ, the one to whom he was sent. His people so to speak. The Jews rejected him. You know, I wonder what Jesus is doing in our church today. I wonder how the Holy Spirit is, is, is among us. And I wonder if we reject him. And we're looking for certain things. We're looking for the flashy, the shiny, and he's just coming in regular ways to us. And we just... Now... And he's just exposing a little darkness. Why don't you just give that up? Or come on over here. And we're just kind of like, no. I don't know. I, I often wonder about that in my own life. Jesus was the rejected one. So Jesus was the eternal one, the creator, the revealed one, revealing life and shining that light into darkness. The promised one, promised by the prophets, by John the Baptist, uh, to take away the sins of the world. And he was rejected, the rejected one. Uh, the world that he created by his own hands rejected him. His own people rejected him. But although he was rejected, he was also the saving one. In verse 12, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus is the saving one for whom? To all who what? Receive him. You must receive him. You must receive the word. You must receive the light. Not reject, receive. You have to take it to the bank. What does that mean? To all who received, that did not reject the light in the life, who received the word, received the life, they let the light penetrate the darkness of sin. How does that happen to those who believed in his name? They believed. He gave them right to become children of God. Through belief in his name, 
How many of you love that commandment where it says, don't take the name of thy Lord God in vain? What does that mean? Just don't say God in a mean way? Don't use it in an unholy way? We know a lot about names. When you think about Nike, what does that mean? Don't use Nike in a bad way. It's what that whole thing represents. The kingdom behind it. those who receive his name. We're baptized into the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, into the name of the Holy Spirit, into his kingdom, all that he stands for, light, life, freedom, life of the Spirit, rejection of darkness. Amen? You receive him. It's not understanding all the concepts necessarily, but you say, what you are, what you have, what you say, I receive. Come in. I'm dark. You are light. You are life. I have death. You say you will change me. Come change me. I believe. I need it. I receive. It's not just to believe that he exists. Even the demons believe that, right? Believing his name means to believe in all that he is, his kingdom. He has come to save us from our sin by dying in our place upon the cross so that the wrath of God would be satisfied like we sang about. And when we believe upon Him, His light comes into our lives. His life comes into our hearts. His life, not a natural life, John is saying, a child born of natural descent. It's not because you were raised American or went to church or a Christian school where your parents were Christians. It's not of natural descent. It's not of heritage. That's not how a person is born again. It's not of human decision. It's not because you willed it. It's not because you decided you wanted eternal life. It's not because you really, really, really wanted it. And therefore, I'm going to keep all these laws or do all these things. That is not how a person is saved. It's not because you worked for it. You did all the right things. Not of human religion or effort, or a husband's will. It's not a human thing. But you're born of God. It is a total work of the Holy Spirit met by faith on our part. Outside, salvation did not come from us, everybody. It came into where we are, shined in the darkness. And what do we do with that? We respond or we reject. We respond or we reject sheep, goat, slave, son. That's it. It's because of God. Life is found in God. Jesus Christ. He's the creator. In him is life. He is the promise of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. He was rejected and crucified at God's direction to pay for our sins and to change places with us. He received death and the punishment we deserved. We receive in his place eternal life and the gift of the spirit within us to where we get to cry out, Abba, Father. We now become sons and daughters of the living God. We receive this adoption into the family of God by faith. Don't earn it. We just say yes to the promise. Thank you. Yes. Awesome. What grace. And so the child, we're finishing up here, it was the eternal one, the revealed one, the promised one, the rejected one, the saving one, and lastly, the Christmas story, the glorious one. And the word, verse 14, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And so John is, 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 is just, he's just saying, this is Jesus, and, and here's all these people who testify, it. creation testifies that he is the creator. And he goes, John, the prophets testify that he's the creator. And now he's going to go into and say, I testify that he is who, who he says he is. I've touched him. I've handled him. I've been around him. I've seen him, personal witness. The eternal one, the word of God became flesh. He clothed himself in humanity. He became one of us. And what did he do when that happened? He made his dwelling among us. He pitched his tent. He tabernacled is the word. He made his home with us. His home was not with us. Isaiah 66, 1 says, this is what the Lord says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. <clears throat> I mean, do any of us have a, have a clue how big the universe is? I don't. I'm not a math guy, but I understand pictures, you know, like little simple pictures. Like the earth is pretty big. 24. 4,000 miles all the way around, right? And so, and if you were to take the earth and fill, it, fill the sun with earths, you could fit 1.3 million earths inside the sun. I can't even imagine like 10 earths. So 1.3 million earths inside the sun. The sun is small. Well, actually, you know what? You, you could take the earth and put it in the middle of the sun and then the moon could have its normal orbit around within the sun and still have 100,000 miles to go before it reached the surface. There's 100,000 miles from the outside of that moon's orbit to the sun. That's just like, what? So when you're looking at the sun, I mean, looking at the moon going, well, 100,000 miles beyond that would be my perspective if I were in the middle of the sun looking out to the edge of it. And the sun is small. The sun's a very small star compared to ones where you can fit a billion of those inside of a bigger star, a billion suns. It's like, I can't even comprehend this stuff. The heavens are his throne. The earth is his footstool. <laughs> where is a house you'll prepare for me? And yet, he condescended. He clothed himself in his creation. He became a little lower than the angels. Became one of us. The eternal God seated in the heavens. Became a little lower than the angels. 100% man, 100% God in the flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. He, he, he lived with us for a season. What was that like? What was that like to see God here like we could go touch him? John's trying to describe this. He's a witness of this. And John says, I've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. It was glorious. I've seen it. I saw him walking around. I saw how he interacted with people. I saw when he revealed himself on the Mount of Transfiguration and we all just fell down worshiping. I saw him. 
the kingly majesty which belonged to him as supreme ruler, the majesty in the sense of absolute perfection of deity, magnificence, excellence, preeminence, dignity, all these things. Later in John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 1, John's an old man, he's writing. <coughs> he says, that, <coughs> excuse me, that which was from the beginning, which he have, we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. What does that mean? He probably gave Jesus a high five. He probably put his hand around him. He probably played with him a little bit. You know, whoosh, you know, they wrestled. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know what they did. He said, we've handled him. We, we hung out with him. We ate with him. We walked around with him. I knew him. John walked with him. He witnessed him, how he acted, his emotions. Remember when he saw people, what did he do? When they were hungry. They'd been following him all day long, listening to his teaching. He said he had compassion on him. He looked at him as sheep without a shepherd, and he fed him. He led him by green pastures, by still waters. He restored their soul. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He was light. Oh, how our world needs Jesus. And Jesus said, so I've lived, now you go live. He multiplied himself in you and in me. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We now have the spirit of Christ within us. You are the light of the world. Thank you so much. Praise God. You were the light of the world. John saw him. He was there when he breathed his last on the cross, when Jesus was saying, take my mother, take care of her, John. Saw the humanity, the love, the compassion. He saw the righteous anger he had at the Pharisees were heaping upon things that God never intended to be upon people. He was longing to free people He's longing to free them today. He's longing to free us. That is the gift. Light for darkness. Eternal life for death. And you are now the light of the world. You go share that message. You are the gift to the world. You are not the thousand blazing suns. But you are the reflection of a thousand blazing suns. You're like the moon. And the more the earth gets in the way, the less we shine. The more the world that gets within us, the less we reflect the true glory of God. The less of the world, the more we actually reflect the Lord. And I love how <clears throat> John says that he was full of grace and truth. You know, I could, you could probably talk to me and say, Matt, you're full of some things, right? He was full of grace, and he was full of truth. Full of grace, full of truth. It means he was lacking none of it. He was overflowing. He, he was complete in grace, and he was complete in truth. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lived in bodily form. He is the glorious one, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. 
And John, verse 15, testified concerning him. John the Baptist testified concerning him. And he cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me surpasses me because he's before me. He's eternal. He came from the beginning, John said. He's, he's more important than I am. You guys are looking at me like I'm big stuff. This guy who came from eternity. And out of his fullness, we have received all, <laughs> all received grace in place of grace. Grace upon grace already given from Jesus. It's like waves of grace that just never stop coming in. Just waves of God's grace. Forgiveness. How many of you need forgiveness? How many like the waves of 70 times 7? I love those waves. More of those waves. Tidal wave me, Lord. I need that. It's got that. How many of you need power over sin? It's got that. It's got grace to overwhelm that. What do you need? You need food. You need provision. He is the I am. Just as he was the I am in the wilderness for the lost people of Israel, so he is our I am today. Whatever you lack, whatever you need, not as a cosmic ATM, but according to his spirit. Oh God, I need more of you. Fill me with your grace and your truth. He didn't. He never compromised, but he didn't break a bruised reed. He knew how to take people and build them up. To the woman caught in adultery, what did he say? Where are your accusers? Did he say, oh, it's all right? And he said, go and sin no more. He addressed it in truth, but full of grace. That's our Jesus. Waves of grace, the forgiveness, the spirit, eternal life, waves of grace. And up until this point, John the Apostle hasn't said who the word is, but in verse 17 he makes it clear, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. Jesus is all these things. He's the eternal one, the revealed one, the promised one, the rejected one, the saving one, and the glorious one. He is Jesus Christ. I love verse 18, and this just points to the Trinity again. He says, no one has ever seen God. And you're going, what are you doing? What, what are you talking about? It just said that he is the image. Yes, he's the image of God. So is he not God or is he God? No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. He is one with the Father, and he's the expressed image of the Father. And this is the mystery of the Trinity that God identifies Jesus as God, God identifies the Father as God, and God identifies the Spirit as God. Do I understand it? The answer is no. But that's what it teaches. I don't need to understand everything. I just need to believe. This is the gift. This is our Christmas. It's what the world needs the light of Christ, the love of Christ, the hope of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ. And so receive the light. Let the light penetrate your life. And then go take that life and go shine it to others. Go be the light of the world. Amen? Let's pray. 
Father, for, for us today, we just thank you for your penetrating, glorious light and life you have offered to us and where your light is shining this morning on our darkness. I pray that we wouldn't push you away or reject you or say, forget it, that we would say, God, even in our weakness, help. And even where we feel like we don't even want to, I pray that we would just say, God, if, if there's a way, come break through my darkness, even though my heart is hardened towards you. Trusting that you are the creator, you can do something out of nothing. So come through and break through any heart that is holding on to darkness and just receive his light, church. Lord, we thank you for taking away all our sins. And we pray now for the grace upon grace, (coughs) the eternal spirit, the spirit of Jesus would just fill us that we would walk around like little Christs and may we also like that church in Antioch start to be called little Christ mimickers. Not because we are a bunch of prudes or law keepers or, or liberal or crazy, just because we're in love with you and we're no longer under the law, but we're in a relationship with you that is just so sweet. Lord, draw us to your light this morning. Draw the world to your light like a light on a Christmas tree just bright and shine lift it up for all to see and we pray this and we thank you in the name of Jesus Amen Praise God